0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, guys. My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. Brad, uh, the typical uh, upfront teaching senior more respectable looking guy, is uh, in California with his family uh, on vacation, uh, and th- this morning I get the opportunity, the privilege to preach. I, Kwame was reading over Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, and he hit this part and he read it twice, and, and it said, those who wait upon the Lord, and then I just, I find it beautiful that Kwame speaking about those who wait, and then CB and the rest of the team um, are singing not for a moment. Do you forsake me? Uh, and, and I was thinking, um, when I was a kid, I think my parents wanted to instill in me the fact that waiting was a good thing, not getting. In fact, let me, well, we got all the second through fifth graders out of here. Um, this is not in my notes. This is a good time to go off note. I'm on minute two. Um, uh, what was the thing? Oh, oh, oh. I thinking? Oh, I was reading this article. And I I typically work with students and with young adults, and one of the things the article said was, if you want to increase the likelihood that your child or daughter deal with sexual sin in a visible way, do y'all understand what I'm saying without using certain term pornography, um, I was getting heads this way, they said one of the greatest ways to drive your children toward that is to make instant gratification an easy thing for them to be the parent who just kind of gives them and gives them and gives them. And, and I got it, like, as I got older, and I think we get this, as all of us get older, we appreciate the value of waiting more. We see the benefit in waiting. But the kicker of it is, now that I'm a parent, I don't have to wait. Like, I can just go buy stuff if I have the money, right? Like, I don't have to wait. Nobody's telling me yes or no. And then it also translates down to my kids, I love giving them stuff. I think about um, a Christmas story when the dad is just sitting on the couch as all the kids are tearing into gifts, and he's just sitting there with this pleased look on his face as he is enjoying their enjoyment of receiving something. And so as a parent, I love giving gifts to my kids because I know that they love getting gifts. And and I'm caught in this conundrum of recognizing that waiting and and building that type of a diligence is important. And then we read I, I've got it flipped here. It should appear on the back. Don't you don't need to turn there. It's just a quick little verse out of James chapter one. I read this James one seventeen. Thinking about giving gifts, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The, the best gifts, the good gift, the perfect gift always comes from God. Now, obviously salvation is in mind, but it is not as though salvation is the only thing that is in mind. And then what is so beautiful about this is coupled with God, not me, not you, being the good and perfect gift giver is the fact that he doesn't, cha- he doesn't change. And we know this, like God always causes us to wait, or it seems like always, um, and it's not just for big things like a spouse. It's not just uh, big things like a career or something like that. Do you remember, girls, I don't know, Barbie, something, guys, you remember when you were little wanting to get your first pocket knife? Do you remember that? And, and you always asked like four years too early. You like pulled out your pacifier and was like, when can I get my pocket knife? And, <laughs> and you always got the same answer. It's like when you're older. And it's like you start pushing it, well, how much older? and well when you 're twelve i 'm a seven that 's half my lifetime away and, and And the way that I explain this co- this kind of conundrum of waiting and 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 the sermon title uh, for t- for today is a longer story for greater glory. The conundrum of waiting the way that I explain this to students is 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 using what I call the beauty of the staircase and that is it, it goes like this: all of us want things good things right so it, it, Make your own illustration. It could be a knife or being old enough to sleep over at somebody's house. It could be wanting a car, a new car, a girlfriend, a spouse, a job, to have children, um, to have children that make you proud, uh, when your children have children, when you get retired, like wherever you want in the staircase of all of the things that we want in this life. And if it were up to us, it would just be, right? You just get it, get it, get it, get it, But the way God works it is that as we, staircase. Okay, As we get these good and perfect gifts from our Father, if they're in His time and in His way, they are both good and perfect, there is this period before we get to the next step where we're moving up. Time is passing, but it doesn't feel like I'm getting any closer to that next thing. But it is isn't in that very moment that we are actually drawing closer to God to prepare us for whatever that next step is. And then we get there and we're like, pocket knife, who cares about a pocket knife? I'm 15 now. I need the next thing. And God is like, no, 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 you need to draw near to me before I give you what is next because I am a good perfect gift giver. This morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. We're going to be thinking about the timeline of our lives. And I want us to put our eyes on an incredible God that is worth the wait. A longer story for God's glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. as we open up our Bibles, I pray that we would fall in love with them. I, I, I pray, God, that All of the busyness of this weekend, maybe some of us are getting back, maybe some of us are about to go, there are, I'm sure, in in the minds of many women in this room, many long lists, and Father, I I, I pray for for dads, I think there are many wallet-draining things coming down the pike, and I pray that all of those things would be able to be pushed away to the side, and we would all, just as a family of people who have walked in this building and have wanted to worship God, or at least curious about worshiping the. God from the Bible, that we would just tuck in near as a family, and that we would have a moment together where we pour into your word, and it pours out over us. I I pray for all of those who are traveling. I pray for all of those who are not with us this morning. I I certainly pray that Brad's vacation would be restful, that you would recharge him um, for, for, for more gospel ministry. Father, may this be a moment where we just tuck in And we simplify our complicated lives. We quiet down our souls and our minds. And we just listen to the word of God. Would you do that for us this morning? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, if you would turn to Acts chapter 3. It'll either be on page 714 or 911. Depending on uh, the Bible that you got from the pew. If you brought your own, you're on your own when the numbers count. All right, Acts chapter 3, although we do like that. Like, I would rather you not have those numbers, but have your own Bible. And if you don't, just take the one in front of you with you and keep it. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to tell you a story. God's actually going to tell you a story. I'm just going to read it to you. We'll be analytical in a minute. Allow yourself to just be in the story of what is happening in Acts chapter 3. And if you've heard it before, don't let your mind soil it for your soul. spoil it for your soul. Just stay in it. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Alms is like an offering, like a gift. Would you give me a little bit of money? Verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This word leaping only appears, I think one or two other places in the entire Bible. And one of them is in Isaiah when it's pointing to, to, to Jesus all the way from Isaiah verse nine. And all the people saw him Walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So you get the picture. There's a man who from birth was lame in a society that in a sense would have caused him to be an outcast. Think, think about his dependence upon other people. The Bible says that he was born this way. And daily, for years, he was dependent upon people to carry him. He was dependent upon people to carry him to the temple. He was dependent that once he was carried to the temple, that somebody would give him something. And isn't this a beautiful little sidebar here? Of all the places he could have gone, he went to the temple. He, he could have gone to the market. He could have gone here. He went to the temple because in his mind, the temple was the place where people were most likely to show him grace, to show him favor, to show him compassion. Our, our, our church, our churches should be known for our generosity and our compassion. And what a cool thing that it was daily, right? Like every single day. Now I'm sure not all of the people in Jewish community went to church every single day. I'm sure there were things just like us where there were cultural Christians or there were Easter and Christmas Christians. I I need to throw some air quotes up there now. But you you understand what I'm saying, but he knew that that was one of the best places because the most devout, the most God-fearing, desiring to honor God people were going to be the ones most likely to take care of him. And the temple was open every single day. I, I get a hard time um, from my friends because I work at a church because their question, and I'm sure, okay, here's the deal. Let's just be honest. I'm sure a lot of you are like, what do you guys get paid for? I get it, okay. I'm done in an hour, and then I'll see you again in seven days, right? Like I, I get a little bit of the concern, and yet I know that there are a bunch of you in this room that can answer that question. the The, the reason we have like operating hours on the front door of the church, I think they're on there, is is not for the UPS guy, right? We're pastors. We love our books. That's not why it's there. It's there because just like here, the church is supposed to be a place that has an open door. It's supposed to be a place where you, whether you're a member or this is your first time walking in, you have a place, whether it's your lunch break or you just need a break to walk in and have a quiet place that's covered in Bibles and good things to read and little places to go and pray and people to, like... I have counseling appointments and things like that. But some of my favorite ones are, are the people who just walk in and they're like, hey, can we pray? Hey, can, can, can you just share some scripture with me? Can you just encourage me? I, I want you to know that for, for Crosspoint to be the kind of church, for us to be the kind of people we need to be, we need to be Christians that are daily Christians. And that and, and sometimes that means more than just picking up the book. Th- this place is for you to be able to come anytime you want so that you can come and meet with God. The building is not dependent, but it's there to serve you. So so here we are, and they're at the hour of prayer, an hour dedicated every day to be an hour in which God's people pray to him, and this man sits. Peter and John walk by and give him far more than he imagined. Of course, that's God's way. He often gives us more than we could hope. Or imagine. He is the good, remembering James, the good, perfect, gift giving God. And Peter and John, they look at him and they say, I don't have any gold to give you. And this makes sense because when Jesus sent out the disciples, he was like, Don't take a purse with you, right? It has nothing to do with culture. He was like, Don't take money. You figure it out as you go. Trust in me. Be dependent upon me. It makes sense. And they look at him, and whether they had a coin in their pocket or not, they look at this man, and what they're trying to say is, gold and silver is not what you actually need. You've become so used to your brokenness that you would rather deal with the symptom symptom than the actual brokenness. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, when the faith of Peter and John comes onto the scene, the symptom is easy, right? Broken legs are very easy for God, but he's after a life. He's after a heart. And that's exactly what he'll find in this lame man. What a phenomenal picture. Peter says, get up and walk. uh, Stokes, I don't know where you're at. You're not sitting with your parents. Your parents are here. It's all right. I'm sure they gave you really good gifts when you were a kid. All right. That, that song was a new song, yeah? Um, the part where it talked about the hand reaching down. As soon as you started singing, I was like, God, you're just so good. Like, think about this incredible picture that God gives us. Peter says, get up and walk, and then reaches down to give him the first step of faith. This man looks up and he sees a hand, but there's no coin in it. It's just a hand. Put yourself in that moment. Put yourself in the moment where a man looks him in the eye and reaches down with his hand. To a guy who's been sitting in dust for 40 years. His legs are mangled. They're they're, they're broken. They don't work. They're probably covered in sores. And all of the the likely brokenness that would come from a life like that. And he says, get up and walk. And holds out his hand. How easy a thing it would have been for that man to just brush aside the empty hand of Peter. Peter. How easy a thing it is for us to brush aside our own brokenness, but in that empty hand was far more than the hundreds or thousands filled with small coins that had been reached out to him before. But that's not what this man does. Because faith was beginning to stir in him. As Peter had faith, now this man was beginning to have faith. And faith, true faith, is contagious. Contagious is not usually a good thing. Just found out I might have gotten a disease from a snail in Africa. That's what I woke up to in my email inbox. I thought it was all like, blah blah blah, right? Like, ha-ha, Will. And then, like, I realized that people are talking about medications and money. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So if, like, my face begins to melt halfway through the sermon, you can just be like, them African snails. I knew it. But true faith in God is contagious, and it's contagious in the best of ways. Not not to put the cart before the horse, but look down in verse 16. Peter explains to those who are questioning, questioning him, and he says this, And his name, speaking of Christ, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Now, when he says faith in his name, he's not talking about the lame man's faith. He's talking about his. He's talking about Peter's faith in God through the Holy Spirit, that he can rescue and will like, make this broken, mangled mess of a man whole again. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. You see the overflow of Peter's faith through the work of the Holy Spirit enlivens this broken man to reach up and cling to a hand. And when he does, to have some semblance of hope that the hand that he reaches out to will be enough to hold him. And not just physically, but that he would not embarrassingly crumble back to the ground because he wasn't truly healed. This is why it would have been easy to brush away. And this is the same hand that is, was, extended to all of us. In Christ. The question, the big question is will you reach back out trusting that you will not crumble after you have been lifted? Now, as I say this, I realize that behind me is a sign that says a longer story for greater glory. And I know how broken and sinful and justification factories our souls are. So when I say this, let me just break it apart into two pieces. If you have walked into this room and you are not a Christian, define my term, you are not trusting and believing in Christ, that you are still in your sin. You have not repented of your sin and trusted in the work of Christ on the cross to forgive you that you would be able to stand right before God. If you have not done that, you do not need to wait, right? Because here's what we can do. I work with students, right? Look, Will, I'm going to get serious about Jesus later, but it's my freshman year of college, okay? Let's just be real for a minute here. I'm going to do my own thing, and then I'm going to come back to God. That doesn't exist in the Bible. Left cover, right cover, you're not going to find it. Every time salvation is discussed, Every time, today is the day for salvation. If you have ears to hear, if you have eyes to see, repent and turn and believe. Today, that's the way. The Bible deals with those who are not trusting in God. So don't hold it up in your mind as though you can say, I haven't done that yet, but if I stay in my sin just a little bit longer, I can enjoy it for a little bit more. And then when I do get saved, I'll have an even better testimony. And it'll be this longer story for greater glory. No, 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 no. You're not listening to me. You're just being deceived. That's all. That's just you. That's just your junk. That's just the enemy. But for those of us who are in Christ... Many times, the stair riser is very, very, very long. And we need to remember that this man, who for 40 years was on the ground, that it was a long, long wait before God showed up. But when he did, it was worth it. If you're not trusting in Christ, this is the fear of the heart that wants to have faith in God, that in reaching out to the sinless hand of God, the weight of all our brokenness would be too much, that we would embarrassingly crumble to the ground. But this man does not experience embarrassment. Far from it. Leaping up, he stood. For the first time in his life, he walked. For the first time, think about this, for the first time in his life, he looked eye to eye with another man. Instead of looking up, he looked eye to eye. For the first time in his life, his hands were not covered in dust. And the food that he ate wasn't covered in the filth of his own brokenness. For the first time in his life, he was going to be able to wear clothes that didn't wear out and display the stains of his brokenness. For the first time in his life, he was not going to be a social outcast. He was known as the man who sits outside the temple. We don't know his name. he was the man who sits outside of the temple at the gate called Beautiful. They even named the gate, but they don't, not the guy. What a picture. But it doesn't stop there because faith, true faith, overflows. Um, yesterday, uh, typical Saturday, I'm sure you can all relate. We decided to go to the Lee County Flea Market. I'm sure you were all there. I just missed you. Because we needed to pick up a male, giant Flemish rabbit, you know, and um, a couple of laying hens, typical stuff. And my sister uh, was in town from Norway, so your typical Saturday. Um, and and we went and we went to Chick Fil A the morning uh, right before, and we drove out in Lee County and we're walking. And if you've ever been there, it's crazy. If you haven't been there, just go. And don't start at the front. Start in the back. Pro tip. All right? Start in the back. That's where all the animals are. If you don't see animals, you're starting in the wrong place. So, so we're in the back, and it, it's just like, um, I don't know what it was. It's just like uh, some third, like they're just, third world, they're just animals everywhere. Like some of them are in cages. And, and I'm thinking, I'm a good dad. This may not be a perfect gift, but it's a pretty good one. It's a Saturday, hanging out with my kids, looking at baby goats, looking at chickens. Did you see that pig? It was huge. That's what we're doing. And my kids are like withering on the inside. And I look at my wife, and I don't think this is it verbatim, but I said something like, educate me. Took them to Chick-fil-A. Now they're surrounded by this petting zoo emporium, right? There are more McDonald's toys on a table than you could imagine, This should be like paradise for them. I'm like, what's the deal? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like, they're hot. And I'm like, it's oppressively hot. And I'm like, fine, okay. Everybody get in the car. We recently got a a new vehicle. It's not new, new newish, new to us. Um, Vehicle, Karen in Suburban was pushing 300,000 miles. We're proud of that. It's okay. Thank you, 300,000. Um, and, and I have yet to scotch guard the seats. I have four little children. They're seven and under. I've yet to scotch guard the seats because I'm too busy trying to make this van not look like a commercial van that some creeper would drive down your neighborhood, right? I'm too busy working on the exterior. I haven't scotch guarded the interior, right? Pastor driving by in a white unmarked van. That's what I need. And so, and so we get in and Karen Ann's like, they're just hot. I'm like, fine, we're going to go get an Icy, and Ellis from the back is like, I don't care, as long as it's cold and wet. It's like, all right, I can handle this. We're going to go to Burger King, right? 20 ounces, $1, Coke Icy, I'm on my way. And I start thinking, oh no, they're not just talking about an Icy, now I hear the words cherry coming from the back seat. I am not putting that Icy in this car. This is not a good overflow. Faith overflowing, good thing. I overflowing in my new car that happens to be cherry, not a good thing, right? So we pull into Burger King and I'm, I'm like serving myself, but I'm like, I can get a point out of this. KB, don't, don't worry about your eat out budget. I got it. You weren't planning this. I'm just going to pay for us all to have lunch, right? All right. And so that's, if you understand our, our family finances that like she has that and I, I don't. So anyway, I'm covering that. Inside, I'm just thinking, I'm not letting this Cherry Icy explode all over the back seat. So we go in, get a Cherry Icy. If any of you are youth students, young adults, or youth leaders, you won't understand who I'm talking about, but I am not going to give the name. One of my three sons is led by his stomach. And I do not just mean he makes decisions based on his stomach. I mean his literal side profile is led. It is proceeded. By his stomach, and they always—they're always like, "Will, you gotta quit making fun of that?" And I'm like, "Well, I'll quit making fun of it when he quits giving me ammunition." But right now, it—it it, it is a variable like ammunition depot against this. And so I get the first of like three huge Coke ices or, or cherry ices. There's plenty, and there are only two children sitting at the table: this one and little Tigner. Now, little Tigner. Um, She's, she's got some food stuff going on there, too. She wants it. She wants it. So I put the icy on the table, okay? And Tigner starts to reach for it. And as though somebody was stealing the pearl of great price in his estimation, this child just leaps out and grabs at it. And sure enough... The cherry I see that would have been all over my non-scotch guarded back seat explodes all over the table and the seat and the floor. And it's a sticky mess. We can't even use the table. We have to go to the other one. Okay. Long story, just to tell you, a lot of things overflowing is a bad thing. Faith overflowing is an exceedingly good thing. And I'll give you a proof for it. If a mustard seed can move a mountain, and overflowing faith can change lives, it can change your household, it can change our city, our church. It can change the world if we would be people that have faith that overflows. And it doesn't stop here. This faith overflows. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who would sit at the beautiful gate asking for alms. When this broken man had enough faith, had enough to reach out to the extended hand, the power of God did not stop in that man's life, but it exploded across the whole scene. Same thing is true in our lives. Not only are we not embarrassed, but people have something to wonder and be amazed at. Isn't this the essence of the gospel? Check this out. Um, Isaiah 64 is going to be our little sister text. Go ahead and flip there now. Keep your uh, finger in Acts chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 4. It tells us this. I hear shuffling. I'll give you a second. If you're going to be faithful to turn, I'll be faithful to wait. Isaiah 64 verse 4. It says this. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You see this? From all time long, nobody has seen or heard of a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. When we continue on in that passage, we will find more and more about the, the sin that causes us to not want to wait. But for 40 years, this man had waited. For 40 years, this man had seemingly not grown bitter. He was still showing up at the church. He hadn't decided, no, I'm done with all of these church God people. I'm going to the market. We grow bitter within a month. Sometimes we grow bitter within a moment. And here this man is for 40 years waiting before God shows up. And all of us are waiting on God. I think for something, even even people who don't believe in God are waiting on God to do something that they would believe in him. At least those people willing enough to walk into this place to hear a sermon. All of us want freedom from something, from some brokenness. It could be the sin or the brokenness that we've had from birth, like this man, or it could be something more acute. It could be a marriage that's failing, a child that's floundering, a path or a decision that we thought was the right one but is seeming to crumble in front of us, a relationship that we thought was good but we're becoming more and more convinced that the opposite is true, a sin that we never seem to have victory over, the doubt that creeps in as a result, the way that we compare ourselves to other people and wonder how we line up, whether or not we're putting our identity in Christ or in other things, all of us, want freedom from something, but very few of us remember that we are both the prisoner and the cell. You're not just the prisoner, you're the prisoner and the cell. We're the one trying to escape and the very means that holds us bound. And that's simply because we are complex, confusing, mangled messes of humanity that are riddled with this cancer of sin that resides within Paul says it perfectly in Romans 7, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing. And he closes it out in verse 24 by saying this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Who's going to deliver me when I am both the prisoner and the engineer designing the cell from the inside? When we continue on through Isaiah, I hope you kept your finger there. We realize the nature of the cell of sin that we're in. Verse 5, halfway down. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. Don't get the chronology there out of order. We sinned and God was right to be angry. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? This is the voice of the prisoner calling out from the cell that he's building around himself from the inside. Like a painter who starts on the wrong corner and can't get to the door. We have been a long time. For some of you for 40 years. For some more. Shall we be saved? Will the prisoner ever escape from the cell that's constructed around itself? What does our cell look look like? Look in verse 6. The word like is used four times here by the author of this chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah. We have all become like one who is unclean. Can you see the broken man here? One who is unclean, ostracized, a leper is in view here. Somebody who is pushed away from society. Our sin separates us from God, from man, from all. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Without going into the, to give you a 10 cent word, the etymological derivation of what is going on here, suffice it to say that your good deeds are not good. In fact, according to scripture, your good deeds aren't even nothing. They're actually bad deeds if God hasn't applied himself to them. That's the way scripture looks at it. This is the cell that we have built around ourselves. We all fade like a leaf. We dry out and we crumble, and the wind blows us away. Imagine a leaf fighting against the wind. John 15. Puts it this way in verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus speaking. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Like this leaf, it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Once we are detached from the truth, we wither. And there is nothing within us to hold Steady against the destructive winds of sin that blow. That's how Isaiah puts it when it talks about our sin. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away, blows us away. If I can be a little unpastoral for a moment, I don't know if this is wise. I think it's, I think it's okay. I love being a pastor. Don't ever doubt that after what's about to come out of my mouth. I love being a pastor. I love being your pastor. I love our church. I think our church is incredible. But at the same time, I can't tell you how sick of sin I get. And, and as I said, mine, yes. But I get, I get tired of watching families crumble. I get tired of watching kids wither under the weight or anemic faith of moms and dads I, I get really worn out watching one person sin and it so dramatically affect so many people other than them you know, they're, they're not innocent all of us are born in sin and that is enough And I I walked out of my office sometime this week and I just walked outside and I was wrestling with this weight of sin. And what I was asking myself was stuff that we can find in Psalms. And I was asking God, why are you waiting? Why do you keep waiting? We keep rehearsing the same play over and over and it always ends poorly, Why do you bring the sun up? And I was thinking about the grace, the insane grace of God. And I read verse 8 out of Isaiah 64. But now, O oh Lord, but now, not then, not the way that I had been living, not the way that I thought I was going to continue to live the moment I walked into this place, but now, oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work Of your hand. I don't know why he always allows the sun to come up. And I don't know why Christ has yet to return. And I don't know why you're dealing with the junk of somebody else's sin. Yes, we all sin. But you understand exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. But we have a father. And he is a potter. If we're trusting in Christ. And we are the clay. The work of his hands. And he acts for those who wait on him. And of course, clay can only wait. It's its only option. The clay can't do anything but wait. But isn't that the illustration? How silly we are to think that we can bypass the work of God as though clay could shape itself. And yet, God reaches down to this man who he made perfect from head to waist. He reaches down, created him that way. That at a later time, he would grab the clay of that man's legs. And most importantly, his soul. And he would work in him newness and health and life. That's why God persists with sinners. Because we're clay. And it's a hopeless thing. But it should be. You're clay. Hopeless is probably about right. But the potter can always step in. Let's go back to Acts 3 and look at the glory of what happens when somebody is willing to live a life not fearing embarrassment, but walking in faith with God. Is it worth the wait? We would ask this man, is it worth the wait? It was 40 years, your whole life. There was never a day that you ran. There was never a day that you played. You didn't have friends like every other kid. You were never the star on the team. You were never seen as normal your whole life for 40 years. Was it worth it? Was it worth it for you to wait for God for 40 years if it meant greater glory for him? Well, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's and when Peter saw it he addressed the people was it worth it this man went from being ignored and nothing to being the center of attention and for the first time he didn't want it his whole life all he had wanted was everybody's attention Will you look at me? Will you see me? Will you give me something? His whole life, all he had wanted was attention. And now when all of it is poured on him, all that he wants is for all of those eyes to turn and see the one who actually rescued him, who actually restored him. People come flocking and they don't get a show. They get the gospel preached to them. This is what we see Peter do. Look at verse 11. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? This shouldn't be a surprise to you. You've heard of Jesus? And then he gives (laughs) challenge. Use this in your next evangelistic effort. You ready? Use, (laughs) Use Peter's script. Verse 15. You killed the author of life. Lead with that. Hi, my name is Will. It's good to meet you. You come here often? No, oh, okay, yeah, it's good. Just wanted you to know you killed the author of life. Just thought I'd lead with that. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You killed, God raised, we witnessed. That's the whole story. It was the whole story. It is the whole story. It will be the whole story. You can stand in front of anyone if you dare be so bold and are led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying this isn't necessarily wise all the time. And you can say, you killed, God raised, we witness. That's my life. You killed, God raised, we witness. Your sin, God's work, my duty, and my joy. And then we can't come to that part that I jumped ahead to in verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And he continues to preach. Let me close out by showing you the results of an unembarrassed clinging to Christ's existence. Notice that that's what that man did. He clung to Peter and to John. Let me show you what true freedom is. And encourage you to resolve to wait on it. The prisoner can get out of the cell that he has constructed if and only if somebody else is willing to come in and rescue and only one can. And for those of you who have been freed of your sin but still wrestle with the righteous requirements of the law. Let me just encourage you that in Christ our cell doesn't always vanish. But the cold, dark bars of sin and shame are replaced by rods of righteousness that are for our good and for our comfort. Brad's not here. I need to quote Spurgeon real quick because when we do sermon review, I don't want to get points taken off. I was reading um, morning and evening, and uh, I think this was yesterday's. And it can't help me. I can't help but think about this situation. Here's what Spurgeon says You got me. Blessed is the fact that Christians can rejoice, even in the deepest distress. Although trouble may surround them, they still sing. And like many birds, they sing best in their cages. The waves may roll over them, but their souls soon rise to the surface and see the light of God's countenance. They have buoyancy about them, which keeps their head always above the water and helps them to sing amid the tempest. God is with me still. To whom shall the glory be given? Oh, to Jesus. It is all by Jesus. All right. Ver, chapter uh, 4 verse 3 check this out so they arrest them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already, already evening so Peter and John are arrested we don't know about this man but Peter and John are arrested they're thrown in, in prison why? because the Sanhedrin only meets in the morning and it wasn't the morning anymore so they're like well, you are going to have to stay here we don't want you guys dipping town with all this crazy message of Jesus stuff so you're just going to stay right here and the songbirds are placed in their cage what are they going to do? Are they going to sing or are they going to shrivel like the leaf? Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Sorry, ladies, we don't have the statistic for you. The men came to about 5,000. And if you want to do just a little bit of church history, you can look in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, and you'll realize that there are about 120 Christians, fewer than are in this room right now. You go on to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 31, you find 3,000 believers. But then by Acts 4, where we are right now, the men alone, number 5,000. And most people think there were over 10,000 Christians. All because of the work of the gospel and the work of God made visible because people were not embarrassed or ashamed of it. Verse 9. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed, Peter's talking to him, a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, here he goes, he's sitting his evangelistic keys again, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Jesus heals this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. The part that you thought was unnecessary is actually essential. And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm not trying to be mean when I say this. You don't have to believe this. But your other option is to go to hell. That's it. There is no other name Except by Jesus. And a coexist or a tolerance bumper sticker is worth about its weight. If not. Only in Christianity does a hand come down. In everything else we're trying to move up. Pick whatever religion we want. Pick whatever worldview perspective. It's all just earning. Trying to get. Trying to be. In Christianity we look up like crippled men and see a hand in our face. And then we're given the faith to reach out and grab it by the grace of God. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. But seeing the man healed standing beside him, they couldn't say anything in opposition. Verse 18 So they called them and charged them. Then don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you judge. For we can't but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm unashamed. I'm unembarrassed. When the hand came down, I grabbed it. And it was enough to hold me in my brokenness and free me from my cage. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. For all, check that, all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They couldn't do anything to him. This guy had been healed. How did they argue it? Was it worth the wait? Yeah, it was worth the wait. What was gained? The gospel was proclaimed. People through wonder and amazement were brought to God. Was it worth the wait? Was it worth not being embarrassed about the gospel or your relationship with God? Yeah, 5,000 plus people were converted, which was more than double the number of Christians to that day. Jesus was remembered and pointed to. Opponents had nothing to say in opposition. Boldness flourished. God was praised. Was it worth him? We can ask Him when we get there, but we can, I can tell you the answer now. Forty years to flounder in hope. Was it worth it? Yeah. It was worth it. A longer story for God's glory. Let me close with this. I, by the way, I have given you no notes. Because all I wanted you to realize is it's worth waiting on God. And if you haven't trusted in Him, you don't need to wait any longer. It's been long enough. True faith comes from God alone, number one. All of us are commanded to get up and reach up, but apart from God, none of us are able. Number two, true faith requires us to leave our sin. If you've been in a prison of your own making for your whole life, that cell is not going to get any better the longer you wait. But I do believe that all of that time leading to this gives you a long story for God's glory. Stokes, if you go ahead and come on up. True faith is contagious. Jesus healed the man physically and spiritually, but it goes so far beyond that. And true faith is on display. All of this from one broken man made well, who is willing to leap and be emotional. Men, listen to what I'm telling you. He was willing to leap and be emotional. He was unreserved. He clung to another man. He seemed weak and dependent, and yet that was his strength. He was emotional, he was open, he was unreserved, he was weak and dependent in front of all, friends, family, coworkers, strangers, people who pull up in the car next to you, unreservedly weak. And the world was never the same. Um, the, the band's going to play, and we're going to sing a song, and then for those of us who are trusting in Christ, or, or if as a result of God's word you have begun to trust in Christ, This morning, we're going to have communion. But I say, if you would go ahead and throw up those scriptures. I'm just going to pray. And when you open your eyes, there are going to be three scriptures up on the screen. I just want you to read them. I just want you to have a moment to wait before God and read these. And then Stokes will lead us in worship. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to know that you are worth the wait. Whatever it is that we're wrestling with, whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is the weight that is bearing down upon us, you are worth the weight. But Father, that we would have the kind of faith that overflows, that we would be unashamed, that we would not be embarrassed, that we would know that the faith that comes from the hand reaching down of God is strong enough to lift us up and set us up in our brokenness and come through and make us whole and new again. Help us to have faith in you. And may our lives be lived out loud. For those of us who think it's more masculine to hold back than to be emotional. For those of us who feel like maybe it's not wise or it's too much to completely leap and throw ourselves at the feet of the one who rescued us from a cell that we were building around ourselves and had no hope as clay does sitting on a table to move or become something of value. You stepped in. So Father, would you continue through your spirit to do your work and may it cause us to look at Christ on the cross as we think about communion, the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed, that thousands of years ago a hand would reach out and in faith lift up a broken man, that we too would reach out to the hand that's extended to us, that it would lift us out of our brokenness for your glory, for our joy, that our story would be about your glory. In Christ's name.